Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sarah. And I'm Beth. We're lawyers, mothers, and co-hosts of the bipartisan podcast, Pantsuit Politics. We have more in common than divides us. In a world that defaults to false dichotomies, we explore the messiness of living wisely. The choices, trade-offs, priorities, and grace of living a nuanced life. We're going to talk about tackling our fears on today's episode of The Nuanced Life. And I think it's going to be exciting. Before we do, our 2019 speaking calendar is full We are looking at 2020. We really love spending time with people in person. I think that is so much of what we try to talk about here on The Nuance Life. How can we connect more with one another? And there is just an aspect of that, that doing it face-to-face is the best way. So if you would like to bring us into your organization or your community for a keynote address or for a live podcast or for a workshop on good communication, we would be delighted to be with you in 2020. Please email Elise at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com as soon as you can, because we are going to start filling up and we don't want to miss you. Elise at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. Today, we're going to talk about tackling fears. As Beth said, we're going to we're going to talk about a fear most of us have. We're going to talk about a specific fear. We're going to talk about a worse fear. So everybody buckle up. Sabrina wants to commemorate facing her fears and finding community. Her husband is in the Air Force, which means they move a lot. And they were on their third assignment in three weeks when he had to leave for training and she was stuck with kids in a new city. My dearest friend's husband was in the military for a while, so I've learned a lot about this process that they go through over and over and over again. And I think what's so smart about Sabrina, she talks about, like, I knew I needed to find community. Like, I think the people in the military get that better than anybody else. Like, I got I to gotta unpack and then I got to find some people. So she says, walking into a new space for the first time isn't too hard for me. I get my game face on and just keep smiling to seem approachable and kind. I can get through the first day with few problems. People seem to love it when it's your first time and you are brand new. Everyone is extra friendly and helpful and tries to make you feel comfortable. The problem is that historically, I've had a hard time walking through the same doors a second, third, or fourth time. I get nervous, clammy, worried that I don't know people, but I'm not new anymore, so no one really cares. I feel like I'm just existing among others, but not really making any connection. Usually I won't go back, but since my husband was gone, I decided I didn't really have a choice. I needed connection, friends to lean on, and I needed places that could help me feel like this new city is really our home. I went back to all the groups multiple times. It was hard. Sometimes we're not very fun or encouraging, and sometimes I left in tears because I didn't want to talk to anyone and my efforts felt futile. But I went back anyways and now have found the community I so desperately wanted to find. I want to commemorate the courage and strength it took to walk in again and again long after I wasn't new, but before I found my place in these groups. That's beautiful, Sabrina. And I think she's putting Mm -hmm. words to something that lots of us have felt and not known how to express. 
Yes, I was like, let's commemorate Sabrina's ability to articulate this thing that I have experienced but didn't know how to describe. Absolutely. We live in northern Kentucky, as I've talked about before on the show, and lots of people in northern Kentucky have always lived in northern Kentucky, and all their family lives in northern Kentucky. And mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. every holiday, every long weekend, everybody has plans. And if you did not grow up here and don't have your sisters and friends from high school right down the block, you're kind of alone. and. So we've really struggled. I mean, we're coming up on our 13th year here, and I am just starting to feel like we have a sense of community. It takes a long time. It is not a skill set that I have. Even though I feel really connected to people in individual relationships, I don't do like, hey, meet a big group of casual friends well. And so it's been a struggle for us, and I really value what Sabrina said here. I have never thought about what that would be like to be part of the military moving around a lot and how you'd have to do this over and over. So when I moved back to Paducah 10 years ago, it was like both things, okay? So I had my friends, my high school friends, so I sort of had a group, but figured out pretty quickly, like, that was not going to be my long-term really lean on support friends for a lot of reasons. A lot of my high school friends' kids go to a different school system. They live a different part of the town. At the time, they were working full-time. I was staying home. Just a lot of different distinctions. And my friend, who her husband was in the military for a while, said, look, you just got to cast a wide net. And it means you're going to get back some crazy. And I bet Sabrina knows what I'm talking about. When you cast a wide net, you get some people that you're like, oh, dear, what have I done? Or just not good fits, or you have a lot of conflict. And I went through that for several years in Paducah, like, because I'm so extroverted, I would sort of insert myself in situations. And sometimes it led to conflict. And sometimes it led to sort of friend breakups, just because it wasn't right. And I have I had for so long this kind of thing, like you make a friend, you keep a friend, they are your friend forever until truly I read Marie Kondo's (laughs) first book where she says, Objects are like people, everything for a season. Every person is not supposed to be your best friend. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> Forever? Okay. You, I, I want to channel all your wisdom, so you must be right about this. And it's just, you know, but it is. It takes a long process to, like, learn that about yourself, to learn about what you really need in those scenarios and to make sure you're giving back. It's just friendship skills and especially being able to articulate what it's like to kind of keep trying to go back and facing those fears and doing it because you know how important it is into your life because it's so easy to just stay home, right? Especially when you have kids. It's just easy. Sabrina could have just been like, you know what? Pass. I'm just going to stay home. But to like push yourself when you know that's what you need and the, the, the investment will pay off in the long run for your sort of emotional health. Bravo, Sabrina. It's silly how hard this is. When I have invited people over to our house or when I've invited people to go out to dinner or to do something, I feel as nervous as I might feel if I were going on a first date or something. Like that Mm -hmm. fear of rejection comes up in such a powerful way. We talked on Fancy Politics yesterday. I am deep in this book about the Enneagram right now. And I learned about subtypes from the book. And my subtype is the one that Beatrice Chestnut refers to as the sexual subtype. My therapist calls it one-to-one connection, which feels a little bit more comfortable to me than calling it the sexual subtype. But the point is, like, I do really close, intimate relationships very well. And that's kind of my range. I don't really have much of a range Mm. beyond that. And it makes me realize when I was a kid, I always had a best friend, but that's where all my investment went. 
into that one best friend. And that's just not how adult relationships work, especially when you have kids. You know, you just can't Mm -hmm. have that kind of intensity with all of your friends and you can't rely on one person to be all of your things. That's a theme that we've come back to several times. And so this sense of broader community is really important, but it is incredibly hard for some of us, so much harder than it sounds like it should be. And if it doesn't come naturally to you and you're out there working at it like Sabrina is, I just am I'm in awe of that. Well, it's so funny because I always wanted that. I don't know if it's because that sort of deep relationship you were describing. I don't know if it's like socialized. I don't know if it was like we're taught that's what friendship should look like. I don't know if it's because I didn't grow up with siblings. And so I was kind of hungry for that relationship. But I've always had this sort of wide range of friends across different groups. Like even when we were at Transit, like I was on the newspaper staff, I had a really close friend that was not in a sorority on the newspaper staff. I had close friends in almost every sorority. I had close friends that were like sort of political science people that weren't in that scene. And it's still in Paducah. I have, it's so fun when we have like Nicholas's 40th birthday to see all these people across my like church group and school group. And there's a lot of overlap, but then there's some groups that don't overlap and it's fun to see them all come together. But I still like beat myself up and I want this. I don't know why I want this like vision of, you know, somebody lives next door and we're just in each other's business all day, every day. It's like whatever you have, you think you need the other thing in a way with friendships. You're kind of always in a place of is this is this it? When really the reality is is exactly what Sabrina described. There's never going to be a place where you arrive and you're like, ah, I've solved it. I've got this friendship thing figured out because your life is going to change. The stage of life you're in is going to change. And so what your friendships look like is going to change as well. We're going to take a quick break and we'll come right back. I'm ready to pop the question. The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So excited about this. I'm very excited to talk about it, but it's going to be hard to talk about because what I'm going to say is toy portrait, which is a hard thing to say, but that's what I did with Paint Your Life. I've wanted one of these forever. Have you ever seen a toy portrait, Beth? I had not heard of this until I saw yours, and it is stunning. It's so cute. Okay, so you take the, like, lovey, and you have a picture painted of it. But what I did is I wanted to do this forever. I took my lovey, my husband's lovey, and the three boys' lovey, and I put them together. I took a picture, and I sent it to Paint Your Life, and they created this painting, this little family toy portrait. It brings me such joy. If you want to give a truly meaningful gift, you've got to try PaintYourLife.com. Have an original painting of yourself, your children, family, a special place, a cherished pet, or beautiful family toys like Sarah's done, created from a favorite photo. This is a true painting done by hand by a world-class artist at a price you can afford. It makes the perfect gift for birthdays and anniversaries. You choose the artist whose work you most admire and work with them throughout the process until every detail is perfect. And y'all, Sarah's is beautiful. It really looks great. Plus, there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded. This makes a truly special gift for someone you love or for yourself. With Paint Your Life, get your 
favorite memories transformed into a work of art that will be cherished forever. And right now, as a limited time offer, get 30% off your painting. That's right, 30% off and free shipping. To get this special offer and to see my painting, text the word nuanced to 484848. That's nuanced with a D to 484848. Text N-U-A-N-C-E-D to 484848. Message and data rates apply. Our next commemoration comes from across the pond. I love this commemoration. Abby faced her fear of needles and donated for the first time to the National Health Service. And she says rather than commemorate giving blood itself, she wanted to commemorate the small but decades-long journey leaving up to it. She's always wanted to give blood, but she has a lot of anxiety and queasiness around needles and injections. And I can totally relate to this because we have a lot of conversations in my family about some very serious health issues going on. And every time I want to be right in it, I want to be a caretaker, and I can feel my stomach dropping as soon as we start to talk about anything related to injections. So Mm -hmm. Abby tried donating when she was 18, but fainted in the nurse's office before entering the donation hall. And she was too nervous to try again. And I totally get that. I'm sure that was a really difficult experience. She writes, over the past few years, I've tried to reframe any necessary contact with needles. Every vaccine, every travel immunization, every dental anesthetic injection is practice at making it through the venipuncture. Each time required mental preparation and breathing exercises. Each time it got a little less scary and I felt a little less wobbly, although I'd still always request to be lying down instead of sitting when possible. Knowing each time that I was a tiny step closer to this bigger life-saving goal made the individual experiences far more bearable. This year, I finally felt ready and made a New Year's resolution to donate, and yesterday I did. Abby says she still closed her eyes, but she was able to do it, and as soon as she was finished, she booked the next available donation appointment. It turns out that she has A-plus blood type, which is the second most requested in the country, and she said it took me a while to get there, but at 27, I still have plenty of donating years to go, and I am so darn proud. First of all, I'm also A positive, which I do like to think of as A plus, like the grade. So Abby, minute with you. I'm so inspired by her. I have not given blood in longer than I really want to admit to because I felt like a couple times it made me sick, but it's been so long. I really do need to try again. Abby's like really systematic approach to tackling this fear is impressive and inspiring to me. I feel like there's got to be some link and maybe our audience knows about it, between when you donate blood and like where you are in your cycle to how sick or how it can affect you. If there's science on that, if there is, will y'all let me know? Because I feel like that might have to do why it made me sick before. But Abby's got me inspired. I really want to donate blood. Part of the issue for me is that I always struggle with iron. So the last few Mm -hmm. times I've tried to donate, I've gotten rejected. And it's kind of made me feel like I don't know. I don't like to be rejected anywhere, you know? So it's made me not want to go back and get rejected again. But I need to because I'm O negative. And so it's... Oh, that's a big one, right? That's a universal donor? Yeah. It's really important that they have my blood. And so I do need to try again. But I agree. I think Abby's commemoration here is a testament to becoming aware of and able to talk about whatever's going on. Like once you're able to say, oh... I'm afraid of injections. It gives me anxiety. Then you can say, all right, every time I have to interact with needles, let me see if I can work on this. Right. But Mm -hmm. if you don't know that that's what's going on and you're just like, no, I don't do that thing. 
then you can't work on it in that systematic way. It really bothers me when people react like that. So do you have, like, a fear? I don't think I have, like, like, I don't even really mind needles. Do you have, like, a fear? My only fear is being afraid. I don't want to be afraid. I do not fear needles, and I have no problem with the injection for me. It is hearing about other people getting medical treatment that makes me sick. And I it's the same kind of anxiousness that I feel. You know how we've talked about my distrust of basic physics, like how occasionally I'll put things on a shelf and think, how is this shelf possibly holding all that weight? Or when I was in Edinburgh, I was like, how is the earth holding the weight of this very heavy city? It's the same kind of feeling. I think that I just, on kind of a physical level connect with how fragile the people around me are for a second and it it just hurts like especially when we're talking about my mom and her what's going on with her health like occasionally she'll be describing it to me and it's just like in an instant I can just feel in my cells her immortality and I can't stand it Mm. And it's it's that same kind of feeling I have about the shelf it's like oh my gosh everything around us could break And I just absorb it. And then I'm able to get past it. But it's not – it's so weird because I don't feel that way about myself at all. Interesting. I would say the only thing – and I don't really know if I want to describe it as a fear. I don't like – like I love roller coasters, but I do not like free fall rides, like where they just pull you up and then drop you. Mm -hmm. But am I afraid of it? Or can I just say I do not enjoy that experience and I don't want to partake in it? Is it the same thing? I think they merge for some people. And I I think that's the point here, right? If you can – if you can figure out which one it is. Right. Because I'm not looking for a benefit deal. like she is. Like yeah. she wants to like there's a benefit. Nobody gains if I go on a free fall ride except for the person taking my money, I guess. But I really hate those. I really do not enjoy that experience. I don't see horror movies, not because I'm afraid of them, but I just don't enjoy them. Right. I'm I'm very good at knowing this was created this is not real. Here's how it was created. I can separate from all of it so I don't get wrapped up in fear. I just know that I don't enjoy the experience of seeing it. And I do think there's a difference. But I think a lot of us confuse this makes me anxious or this makes me fearful or this generates some other negative emotion in me with I just don't like it. Yeah, it is. It's hard to sort of sort out. So good job, Abby, for doing such a good job sorting all that out. We will be right back after this short message from our sponsor. Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? I think this relates so much to what we were just talking about. Are you aware of what that thing is? That's why services like BetterHelp are so valuable. They give you that space and they have an expert there to help you walk through that process and think through Is this anxiety? Is this a fear? How can I deal with it? BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 24 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. There is a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's counselor network, which may not be locally available in many areas. The service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful response. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches 
so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. Visit BetterHelp.com NL and join the over 500,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. For Nuance Life listeners, you'll receive 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com NL. reached out to us and she is facing the worst fear for so many discovering a secret about her spouse she says it feels strange to commemorate one of the worst days of my life but here we are one year out from the day i discovered my husband's destructive secret addiction to pornography even though it's a day i'd rather forget i think it's important to mark the time because it means i've made it this far on the other side There have been so many black days in which I thought the pain would certainly kill me. But look, I'm still here. I'm still alive. And not only that, I'm growing. Even though it feels trite to wrap such an ugly thing in a pretty bow of look at the good coming out of this, I can't properly commemorate without acknowledging that both my husband and myself are doing immense work on ourselves and our relationship because of it. We are so blessed to be working with excellent support groups and recovery resources specific to sexual addiction and its traumatic effects on both addict and victim. The complacency that had taken root in our marriage has been replaced with an active willingness to confront difficult things, communicate clearly, and lay the foundation for real intimacy and trust again. I wish we didn't have to go through hell to get here. And I would never wish this experience on anyone. But I am grateful that we've made it this far and that there's a glimmer of hope growing brighter for our future. I'm so grateful that Hallie shared this. I think so many people have experiences like this and don't have a place where it feels safe to talk about them because the conversation that I heard for a long time, especially as a young married person, was like a lot of judginess from myself and other newlyweds about what we would and would not tolerate in our own marriages. Mm -hmm. And I regret that immaturity so much, even though it's probably just normal, natural immaturity. I don't think you can possibly understand at the beginning of a relationship how that relationship is going to unfold. And when it's a relationship that is really working on important levels, how much you would be willing to forgive and work on with the other person and how much you need the other person to be willing to forgive and work on that stuff with you. And so I feel almost some personal guilt reading Hallie's message because I know that at the beginning of my marriage, I would have said, I would never, if I discovered this, that would be it. And that's just not at all where I am today. And I'm grateful for that journey. And I'm grateful that Hallie voiced this so that we can all be thinking through the way that we're willing to nurture our relationships and the space we're willing to make for things that are very hard for people. Yeah, I don't remember how long we had been married, but there was definitely a point I reached where I stopped ever saying, oh, that's a deal breaker or Oh, I would leave and I would go full waiting to exhale, setting the stuff on fire in the front lawn. I have no doubt that I would have big feelings in the face of any of this sort of secretive behavior. And I I don't really know what they would look like. But 
you know, that's one of the most valuable things I learned in college is you can't judge someone else in a crisis because you're not in a crisis. <laughs> you don't know how you would act because you're not in a crisis. You can't logically think through, oh, that's how I'd react to that crisis because that's the nature of crisis and relationship, like you said. So if you add in the complexity and nature of relationships and that we don't really know what it's like to be in another one and we sort of the longer you go in a relationship, you you get like how much they can evolve and change day to day, month to month, year to year. And the the reality of a crisis, any crisis, but particularly a crisis inside a relationship and that you're dealing with two people who are experiencing a trauma and doing the best they can day to day and figuring out how to do that together. And it's just a lot. It's just it's just a whole lot to sit and think you understand looking on the outside in. I think I've also come to realize that my perception of secretive behavior has changed as I've matured. Ten years ago, Beth would have said, well, if Chad were doing something in secret, that would be the worst thing because he would be actively lying to me. And maybe that's true about some kind of behavior if that were happening. But I think more often when people are keeping a secret It's because they're really trapped in it and they're stuck. People who don't regularly lie, which is a whole different category. Yeah, so true. But but people who don't regularly lie and have one secret, it is usually because, I don't know, I think that's a manifestation of the ultimate pain that people are going Mm -hmm, through. mm -hmm. And so if I discovered that Chad had some horrible secret going on, I don't think he does, and we haven't been through this. I just want to say clearly, because when he hears this episode, he's going to be like, Beth, what are, like, what are you hinting at? But but if I discovered that, I, I hope that I would look at it through the lens of, I'm so sorry that you're hurting in this way. I'm so sorry that something it was hurting so deeply in you that you couldn't share it with me. And And that is a perspective born of life experience that I just didn't have when we first married. I once was talking with a friend who experienced a partner's secret, a very painful secret. And I remember telling them, like, it almost feels like they were like it was almost suicidal. They were just trying to blow up their life. And it was crazy because this person was like, oh, my God, that's like what our therapist said to me, like that the therapist like it is it's a it's a similar instinct. I just want to blow it up. I just want to blow it up. I'm in so much pain and I can't see my way out. And so it's just it's a destructive impulse. Right. And again, that's, of course, born out of a lot of pain. Now, I think being able to look at someone's pain and be willing to forgive them is hard to do when they've caused you a great deal of pain. And that's a long process, especially when it's somebody you love and somebody you trust, like your spouse. But to think that there's this one-size-fits-all solution or this is a black-and-white issue when you're talking about the complexities of secrets and the complexity of relationships and the complexities of intimacy and trust and addiction and mental health challenges, it's just there's so much there. And I don't think it's tried at all to say I survived it and I see some good coming out of it. I don't think that's trite. And I think you're wise, Sarah, to point out that there's not a one-size-fits-all answer because – recognizing that it wouldn't be the instant Carrie Underwood truck smashing that I used to think of mm-hmm. also does not mean that staying and working on it is always the right thing. And right. I don't begrudge anyone 
who looks at really hard situations and decides this relationship cannot go on because that's going to happen. And sometimes that is the right answer for everyone or the best answer available under the circumstances. I think a really fine line is being able to acknowledge behavior that is born of pain without taking responsibility that's not yours to fix that. Because I don't believe that we can mm-hmm. fix other people's pain. I think they have to do that themselves. And so it's that line between support and trying to handle it for someone is thin and, and almost imperceptible. And so I hope that Hallie feels a lot of good support around her as she navigates this with her husband. And I really appreciate her sharing this with us. Thank you for joining us for another episode of The Nuanced Life. We will be back in your ears on Friday over at Pantsuit Politics. And until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. Dylan Garvin produces The Nuanced Life. Elise Knapp is our managing director. The Nuanced Life is listener-supported. Go to patreon.com slash thenuancedlife. For $5 each month, you'll receive an entire bonus episode of The Nuanced Life. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. Dylan Garvin is the composer and performer of our ad music. For more information about The Nuanced Life and to connect with us through our weekly email, visit pantsuitpoliticsshow.com.